Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. Well, g'day. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's Travis, and I don't know about you, but I've never been so interested about Numbers 2, page 205. Um, <laughs> There are two things I'd love you to hold on to today um, out of anything that comes through this passage that we've just had read from Revelation uh, chapter 2. It is this, that you would hold truth tightly. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. Hold truth tightly. And the second one is, fight lies fiercely. And why? Because Jesus fights them. Two things. Hold truth tightly and fight lies fiercely. Let that sit hanging over this passage today. Don't know if you're a fan or a follower of Blaise Pascal. Um, pretty smart guy. Top of the game, child prodigy. Um, it says up here he was just a French philosopher during the period um, of the Enlightenment, but he was so much more than that. He was an inventor, a mathematician, a physicist, a writer. He was a Christian guy. Any created such really fascinating theorems and, and applications in life that I'm sure you talk about it all the time, like Pascal's pressure? Oh, not the lollies. Oh, the lollies, yeah. I don't think he made the lollies. <laughs> but I am a big fan of Pascal lollies, that's right, yeah, yeah. He, he had the idea of the modern theory of probabilities. Anyone here frothing over the modern theory of probabilities? No? <laughs> all right, okay, fine, fair enough. But he was such a clear thinker and a clear writer. He could say a lot in very few words. He said things like this, kind words do not cost much, yet they accomplish much. How true is that? He said this, justice without force is powerless, but force without justice is tyrannical. So true, isn't it? A deep thinker. He said this, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. Want to make sense of the world, of life? No, Jesus, Pascal said. But there's another saying that he had which you may have heard in a more contemporary way, slightly different, but it might have been like this. Inside every person is a God-sized hole that needs to be filled, waiting to be filled. Have you ever heard that? And he said, you know, there's a, there's a God-sized hole in everyone. Or more precisely, his quote was this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. We'd probably all agree with that, wouldn't we? That's, that's actually where ultimate filling comes. But I want to cautiously say I actually disagree with Pascal. Yeah, not about the math stuff. He's going to nail me there. But I think he might have got this slightly wrong. Why? Or what? What's about the heart? Because the human heart is not a vacuumless space waiting and longing to be filled with stuff. It's actually jam-packed with stuff called idols. We fill that space with idols, things that we think and things that we wrap our identity and life around that we think will ultimately give us purpose and meaning and quench our longing. We pack it with the pursuit of idols, not just in the ancient world, but in the world today that still happens. Rather than hearing the word of God and finding and anchoring our deepest longing in Jesus, humanity continues to shove and shove and shove and shove idols 
into that space within our being. And confrontingly, the Bible says, its testimony is that this heart packed with idols is not merely an innocent pursuit, a benign pursuit, it's just part of the human experience of spirituality in life and history. But when that packing of idols is particularly joined with pressuring power, it's almost, well, it is, satanic. To seek to have life and goodness apart from Jesus and to have something else thrust itself into the centre of who we are is not just a benign thing. For the Pergamon Christians, they need to know in a world of idolatry, they need to hold tightly to the truth of who Jesus is. They need to say no to the gods of goddesses that come to them day and day, every day. It's the story of human history that we are idolatrous people. It's all through history and human experience and most clearly seen in the life of the church of Pergamon and where they lived. This is why. Well, for those who are just joining us today for the first time, sorry, we're just continuing this series on the seven letters. This is the third letter to the church at Pergamon, number three up the top there. But this is the word that, John, that Jesus spoke to this church. These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live. It's not so much what you're doing, but where you live. What's going on? It's where Satan has his throne. It's where Satan lives. How could Jesus speak with such confronting words that I know where Satan lives? I know where you are. Well, because if you were to go to Pergamum today, Nathan said he went there when he went on his trip last year, you'd see this, this massive mound, this Acropolis which stands behind the city. Looks pretty barren there. There's a few kind of um, bit of bit of broken bit of archaeology there and remnants of old stuff. But if you went up there, you'd see this impressive mound covered with with great foundations. There, there was a stadium, open air, ten thousand people that fitted. That's pretty impressive. There's some landscaping there. No bulldozers, no excavator, just good old pick and shovel. But around the whole top of this Acropolis was not picnic tables. Not little telescopes to enjoy the view, but shrines and temples to God upon God upon God. Sydney has its harbour. People love it. People go to Paris because of the Eiffel Tower. People, well, they come to Pergamon to worship. There are the gods' temples everywhere there. There's the elegant temple of Athena, the goddess of war and reason. There's a god, Dionysus, God of winemaking, fertility, festivity and food. Sounds like a bit of a crackerjack, that one. Go to that temple, eh? Sounds like fun. There's a Clepidus, the god of medicine. And then there was the impressive, above everything else, the impressive temple of Zeus, the god of sky and thunder. He was the king of the gods. But next to him was actually another temple too, the temple to Trajan, the emperor the man who would be decreed a deity, a god, by the empire of Rome. So here in Pergamum, Caesar was worshipped not merely as a man, but a deity you were to swear allegiance to. He was Lord. He was supreme ruler and saviour of the people. Have your other gods, but make sure he's number one. Have your other gods, but he has your heart. The very air you breathe, if you could go back in time to Pergamum, the very air you would breathe, would be this air of idolatry. Come and find the God that fits your desire, 
find your purpose in life there. Come find your little God actually made by human hands that you can manipulate through your sacrifices and festivals. Come to Pergamum. Find your God. Worship him. Remember Caesar, though? He's number one. Can you imagine the conversations the Pergamon Christians would have been listening to as they went about their life? Day after day, as people streamed to this city, streamed there. Oh, we're going to go to the Temple of Dionysus today. Oh, he's going to give us feasting, festivity, wine-making. Awesome. Let's go to Athena. Got to figure out some reasoning. All the stuff that went on in this temple worship was the stuff that would rile up anyone's affections and emotions. I can get what I want here. I want to anchor myself in these temples and these gods. Caesar is the one who will give me security and safety. This is the air that you would breathe in Pergamon. What did they need to remember in the midst of all of that? They needed to remember to hold truth tightly because Jesus is truth. Because compared to all these ornate temples and the crowds that would flong, Jesus must have seemed so pathetic. The Jewish carpenter, rabbi, who taught for three years, was crucified. Some say he was resurrected, but really. (laughs) Jesus? There are no large churches at this time. There is no Facebook pages encouraging you to hold on, little daily Bible reading apps to spur you on. The whole air around you would mock Jesus, but find your heart anchored in what you could get from these temples. But how were these... Pergamon Christians living in the midst of all that air around them? Jesus says, yet you remain true. You remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, holding tightly to truth. Because Jesus is the one they knew who could only truly give them life. The only one who had truly conquered death the one who could truly cleanse them from their sins, that gave genuine hope, they would hold tightly to him and no one else. And they are commended for that. That is their characteristic for the bulk of this church. People who do not give up or renounce the name of Jesus and captured most wonderfully in the character of Antipas. For Smyrna, they were going to possibly head to death. Well, in Pergamum, there had been death. He's the faithful witness, faithful to the truth of who Jesus is. And it's empowering to remember too that Jesus is declared in the beginning of Revelation as the faithful witness. Well, here is one who echoes Jesus, who is the faithful witness. What does that mean for them to be like that? They would keep on holding on to him, no matter what the world around them offered or said, at great cost to themselves. Whilst those around them would say, hold on to Caesar. We're not holding on to Caesar. We're holding on to Jesus, no one else. Come and find life and get what you want. You can have whatever you want. Come to Dionysus. Come to Athena. No, we're holding on to Jesus. Because we're convinced by the truth of who he is. God's promised king and Messiah. They remain true to him. Amongst many options... They knew he was the one who was living water, who satisfied the soul. He was the bread of life that gave ultimate fulfilment. 
the only one that could truly fill that God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every single person. When all the world around them was calling to make little of Jesus, they said, no, we'll hold on to him. Jesus is the faithful witness and we will seek to be like him. There is no other. And for us, as we think and understand a bit of what's going on behind the scenes here in Pergamum, we might think, ah, we don't live that kind, kind of, in the same kind of space in the world, do we? Not really. It's a bit different. I mean, we have a big hill, but all you can really do with that is climb up it and then down again and just get really hot. But there's no temples up there. It's, people don't go looking to the hills, really, do they, to, to put, build temples to be closer to God? Maybe because we know the universe is so big now, it's not just up a little bit higher. No, but we still have the air of idolatry all around us. The voices that keep speaking saying, come, find your identity here. Find your fulfilment here. This is what it truly means to be human and have life. You pick up your phone and you jump on Facebook or you jump on Instagram. And if you don't know what that is, talk to your grandchildren or your young neighbour. But what, what, what is the message given to us time and time again? Worship the God of cash. Cash is king. That is the place that we will find our security. Really. I don't want to say it out loud, but you know, when I keep checking my app, my app, my app, my superannuation, my bank, my shares, I'm doing okay, I'm okay. I love Jesus, but oh, no, really? What sits enthroned in our hearts? Now we need to pay our bills, we want to be wise. But that's a poor God that won't deliver in the end. He won't save you from death, He won't bring you joy and happiness. That is a God that cries out. What about the God of worship your body, health and fitness above everything else? Pour yourself to getting big guns and tight abs. That's what you need to do. That's where you find your identity, wrapped up in your, your body. But there's a very confronting thing that happens with that. It's called gravity and time. <laughs> I don't know how many people I speak to that say to me, yeah, you should have seen me when I was young. Well, I'm thinking, you're not young now and I don't want to see you. Like... like <laughs> Like, it's come, it's come and gone. It's a very poor God, worshipping body and beauty. Sure, look after ourselves. You know, eat good, do exercise, awesome. But when we find our identity wrapped there, poor God. What about probably the most prevalent, the God of individuality that we keep getting pumped with around us? That you do you. No one, nothing can tell you who you are especially not this Jesus bloke. You do you. Worship the God of the individual. And it has a very close friend called the goddess of sexuality, which in your individually, make sure nothing and no one can speak into that space. Definitely not. And if you were to dare threaten the idols on the shrines of individuality and sexual freedom, expect some pushback about that. This is the air we breathe. We all have idols in our culture. But the Christian is to hold tight to Jesus. We know that in him is true fulfilment, the scripture declares. In him is life. Nothing can no one else. In him and him alone. He's not someone who's to be moulded and manipulated and shrunk down just to fit into a pantheon of other gods. 
our Sunday morning Jesus that we just pull out while we pursue everything else throughout the rest of the week, where our hearts are consumed elsewhere. He says, no, hold on to me. Hold truth tightly of who Jesus is. So how, how do we hold on to Jesus? Well, it's knowing the truth of who he is. How do we know that? What's through the pages of scripture? It's through understanding the word that's given to us. In the sovereignty of God, he's given us a word which speaks clearly about who Jesus is and what it means to know him and follow him, to be loved by him. In the apostles' teaching, in the letters to the churches, the whole Old Testament pointing forward to what it means to know Jesus and his work as God's king today for us as he was in the days of Pergamon. And I know for people when they hear this as an application, they go, oh, seriously, the Bible is such a big book. I hate reading. I just, I'd love to read, but tell you what, man, I get through five minutes of a newspaper article and I'm, it's such a big book. Well, can I encourage you? Have you heard that saying, how do you eat an elephant? Do people know? Ever wondered how you eat an elephant? One mouthful at a time. That's right. And it's true. Some people have bigger mouths. They can eat more. That's okay. You might have a small mouth. That's okay. That's okay. But remember, Jesus knows his people. The echo through all these letters is, I know you. He wants us to know who he is. So let's keep thinking, about, well, how do I know the truth? How can I be sure of the truth of Jesus? To hold tightly onto that. Perhaps you can't read chapters. Read verses. If you hate reading, flick on an audio Bible, hear the scriptures being read. Let them soak and shape your mind and heart rather than the voices of the world perpetually. Find time, make time. After the service, if you find it hard to read and even think about how this looks applied to life, ask someone, hey, how have you been encouraged in your Bible reading this week? Listen to what they're saying. Be shaped by the truth of who Jesus is. We don't shape him. He shapes us through his word. We want to hold tight to the truth of Jesus, just like those in Pergamon were encouraged deeply and richly. If you're someone here today who's not a Christian, you're thinking, ah, what's this Jesus stuff really all about? Why would they get so excited about following him? Can I encourage you? Have a bite. Grab a gospel of Luke up the back. Read about Jesus. See where you end up. Ask the person you came with today, hey, would you actually read this with me? And if they say no, let me know. No. If, <laughs> if you're not sure, come and ask someone with a name badge. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to meet up with you and read the Bible. Not because it's a law, because it's a ritual, but because it's good. In it, you meet Jesus, who is life. But sadly, there are lies told about Jesus in the days of Pergamum, in the days of us. The second point to remember is to fight lies fiercely because Jesus fights them. So he said against the faithfulness of Antipas, you'd almost expect this letter to end there, just like Smyrna. It was like they got five stars. Like they did really well. Faithful. But then the letter kind of just takes a quick turn, doesn't it? It says, you're doing well, you're holding the truth tightly. But what does he say in verse 14? Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some amongst you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. What's that all about? Well, that's flowing from that reading that we had in Numbers. 
that really nice, light, fluffy story about the history of Israel. Holy guacamole. Like, talk about being confronting. But he's saying, you know, amongst you, even though in church there is, you have been faithful, there are some, though, not just who are coming in trying to figure out Jesus, but some who are in the church and they're teaching or hold to, rather than the truth of Jesus, holding to a different teaching. It's like this. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Seems to be the same thing. They're not quite sure who the Nicolaitans were, but it seems tied to this idea of what Balaam taught Israel to do. But what did Balaam teach Israel? Told, him, told them lies. Told them lies about who God is and lies about what it meant to be God's people. The people of Israel had been lovingly rescued by God out of Egypt. Rescued, given life. He had called them his own people to know him, to love him, because he loves them to be a faithful people, a holy people like he is holy, distinct, unique, a people shaped by the love of God poured out into them, a word which would shape them, God's word. But Balaam comes along and says, you know what, we tried to curse him, King Balak, this didn't happen. These were one of the nations that was nearby. You know what? Got a better idea. Let's send our women in, and they're not going to play Scrabble. They're going to go in there. They're going to lead them into sexual immorality, and they're going to encourage them to come and worship these other gods. They manipulated who God was, dismissed who God was, made him a nothing, and therefore in their lives they didn't care how they lived. They thought they could do what they want. There was lies about who God was, and lies about how they were to live as God's people. That is what Balaam was teaching the people. You can dismiss God, manipulate God, distort who he is, it doesn't matter. And you can do what you want without consequence. Without consequence. So in Pergamon, what was this going to look like? We don't exactly know. But it seems that this teaching that's coming is saying, you know what? You can kind of just put Jesus to the side. You can shrink him. You can have the other gods as well. Jesus really, maybe not worth listening to. Or maybe you should listen to him, but make sure you pursue other things as well. And do you know what? We can shape Jesus, but also it doesn't matter how you live. Does, it, does Jesus really? I mean, think about it. Does Jesus really care how you live your life? Ultimately. I mean, it's your life. You can do what you want, can't you? Does he have any authority to shape our lives as his people? Does he? Well, Jesus is not, he's normally seen as this, sometimes seen, I should say, as this nice guy who's just gentle, with a placid look on his face, holding a lamb, stroking it. <laughs> but what does Jesus actually say to the church? Knowing that, they, that he knows this, he says in verse 16, Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against them, so I'm not going to point anywhere in particular, to them with the sword of my mouth. Do you ever picture Jesus as a fighter? Well, he is a fighter and he comes with the sword of his mouth. He cares about how his people lives. He cares about what he's taught about him. Hebrews 4.12 says, God's word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing through joint and marrow, dividing spirit and soul, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, so everything is laid bare. It's a judging word. It's a clarifying word. And Jesus says, I will come with that word and I will judge them 
I will expose them for who they are. Lies about who I am. Lies about how you are to live as God's people. Jesus is not in scripture someone who is manipulated or moulded to our intentions and our desires, what we think he should be like. He says, no, know who I am. Meet me in the pages of scripture and then live as my people, knowing him. Truth matters to Jesus. It matters. So he says, fight lies because he fights them. And if you think of that echo of that picture in Numbers, the zeal Phineas had for the dishonour that was coming to the name of Yahweh, to the true and living God who loved them. The zeal he had was he saw that blatant disregard for how Israel was to live. Phineas gets that spear and he's filled with zeal for the honour of God. Is Jesus less zealous? Less zealous for what he's taught about him? Is he less zealous for the lives of his people than Phineas? We're not going to fight with a spear. There was a time and a place where God worked his purpose there. But Jesus says, I will fight with my word against those who are false teachers, exposing, revealing. We want to love truth and fight lies about Jesus that distort and say, we can just park him to the side. We can make him small and keep him small rather than one who is to shape our lives, rather than declare him to be the one and only one who gives life and offers life to all people. Do you want to fight? It's one way we want to fight, to love truth, to hold fast to Jesus. It's not just a problem in Pergamum. It's experience of the church throughout history. Today we still have people or groups of teachers in the church, big wide picture of church, who would say we can manipulate who Jesus is. We can mould him to fit our thinking about what, who God is and what life is like. It doesn't matter really how we live. Nathan was just sharing this week about a friend in Canada who when thinking hard about what it means to trust Jesus and to be shaped by the Bible's teaching and what it means to express our sexuality and how we do that, was locked out of his church by his bishop because he said, no, I'm going to hold fast to Jesus and trust his goodness in that realm of life where the bishop would start to move and float and teach with the prevailing gods and culture of the world, of the air that we breathe even today. Hold fast the truth tightly because Jesus is truth. Fight lies because Jesus fights lies. He cares about what he's taught about himself and the lives of his people. Blaise Pascal said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that cannot be filled by any created thing. I want to say he's almost right. Ah, there you go. Love you, man. <laughs> there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot, there's a new word there, truly be filled by any created thing. The world will try and pack and stack it with idols. But that's not life. That's not true life. For us who follow Jesus, we are convinced, are we not, through Scripture, that in him alone, in Jesus, is life true life that only God can give through his son. 
That is why we want to keep being faithful to him and fight lies that distort who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we pray that as your people, that you would grow us in humility to be shaped by your word. Father, forgive us for times where we would make little of your son and think that he should fit to our expectations rather than us being shaped by him who is ultimate goodness and love and life. Father, we pray that we would grow in understanding who you are, that we would see lies and fight them. Father, keep shaping us as your people, holding out the word of life. Father, we pray that others would know the goodness and love of your son, the only one who can truly fill our hearts with meaning, purpose and life. Amen. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.